Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Illegal uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan, 2020. Keep America great. Thanks for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision. This week, we've got gender back on the agenda with a discussion about Me Too, sexual violence in the United States, and a look back at Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign and its lesson for 2020 candidates. Before we meet this week's guest, let's have a listen to some of the recent policy debates and issues affecting women now dominating American political discussion. Hey, when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. Lock her up. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Lock her up. She gets out and she starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions. And, you know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes. Uh, blood coming out of her wherever. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. Social norms have begun to change, they've shifted, and the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. A pink wave has washed over American politics. A record number of women, more than 100, elected to Congress. Justice is about making sure that being polite is not the same thing as being quiet. Alabama's Governor Kay Ivey put pen to paper in signing the nation's most restrictive abortion ban into law. It makes no exceptions for rape or incest, a provision that could send a doctor to prison for up to 99 years, a life sentence for performing an abortion, and even 10 years for even attempting it. Dr. Sabine Zilke is the Chair of North American Literature and Culture and the Director of the North American Studies Program at the University of Bonn in Germany. Her research focuses on gender in American culture and the rhetoric of sexual violence in the United States. She's currently a visiting fellow at the United States Studies Centre here in Sydney. Sabine, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wanted to start a little by talking about the previous US presidential election, uh, which was seems steeped in allegations about uh, sexual violence against women from President Trump. Trump's infamous recorded comments to Anthony Weiner's crimes uh, and, of course, Bill Clinton's historic treatment of women while in office. Did it shock you to see these issues become a central focus of the campaign? For me as a European observer, I think it wasn't so much shock but certainly surprise that these discussions dominated the debate as much as they did. Because we have to think about the fact that um, sexual violence and sexual harassment have been around for centuries and they have been discussed by feminism. So the question for me was, why does this become so particularly urgent right now? Uh, and how um, does, does do these issues get articulated uh, at that particular moment in time? Um, what shocked me really was uh, that the pussy-grabbing candidate won the election yes. over a political <laughs> pro. Yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton, and we know that uh, she is a controver- or was a controversial candidate, but 
in other words, Trump's sexist attitude actually added to his appeal. And that is quite shocking, I think. Uh, in hindsight, uh, we may understand things better and things fall into places. But but that was for, for a European observer. And I spent time at the university, uh, at New York University at the time. It was really, um, yeah, quite surprising to see because the discourse is, is very different in Europe. Um, so the f- how, how Fox and CNN sort of basically only talked about uh, who said what at what moment yeah. um, was weird, to say, say the least. Uh, the Me Too movement followed uh, not long after President Trump's inauguration, but there was uh, obviously a lot more than Trump behind its emergence. What other factors do you think drove that movement in the, in the United States? Again, I think we have to uh, keep in mind uh, that the debate about sexual violence, sexual harassment, sexualized violence... Um, has been around longer than the term feminism itself, which was coined in the 19th century. Um, The uh, lawyer, Gloria Alred, who has been uh, driving landmark cases in the struggle for gender equality and against male violators has emphasized Me Too is, of course, not a novelty. And uh, she herself has been representing women who have been mistreated by powerful rich men for over 42 years. Moreover, um, there are claims um, that, that Me Too actually started earlier. There's an African-American woman, Tarana Berkey, who, who, who says she founded uh, Me Too in 2006 and it right. was about black women. So. Um, the question what drove uh, Me Too is really interesting because I think um, the main drive were new technologies. Mm-hmm. It was the popularity of Twitter. And I think this is actually what is new about Me Too, uh, the medium by which it travels and the different kind of human interaction that is involved. So um, we we tend to think it's, it's sort of a particular moment in time, but um, I think it has very much to do with the medium. And that is what is new and that is also uh, what makes Me Too partly problematic as well. Uh, what's your assessment of where we are now with the Me Too movement? Has it, has it brought real change, do you think, and, and do you consider it a successful example of feminist intervention? Me Too, I think, is a mixed blessing. On the one hand, uh, we have to be thankful for the fact that feminism got reinvigorated, that it's back on the agenda, that we dare to use words like patriarchy, which were uh, no-go areas for a long time. Um, so that that is, I think, uh, a very good uh, um, uh, development. Also, um, Me Too is part of an ongoing attempt to break the silence um, that that is around and um, the com- and talks about the complicity that uh, we're all engaged in. I think in in creating spaces in which sexual violence is possible and sexual harassment. At the same time, Me Too doesn't voice anything that hasn't been said before, and it has often been said more clearly, more more uh, more. Uh, Precisely. Uh, so, it comes with a it comes with a pose of novelty necessarily because we need to have these discussions over and over again. Feminism is sort of the serial affair. You go two step forwards, one step back, and this happens all over over the time. If you read early feminist texts, you're surprised uh, that we still have to repeat things over and over again. So um, there is a lot of n- 
pose in this novelty and this this claim at, at radicality is also somehow a nostalgic longing for a certain political moment in the 70s where you know movements rose and had a different political impact um so Talking about the interdependence of economic and sexual exploitation uh, is nothing new, but it's it's important to bring it up again and again. But there is a lot of collateral damage at the same time, and one of which is that uh, it reaffirms, Me Too reaffirms um, the uh, status of victimhood, uh, mostly of women. So Me Too means I am a victim too, and Women have tried to shed that cloak of victimhood over the last, let's say, six decades or seven. Um, it is also um, involving a forgetting of feminist achievements. Um, and this is necessary to make Me Too feel novel and new, right? It's right. a claim of novelty. But then again, you also forget that we've been around these corners a couple of times. And then it is also a reaffirmation, I think, uh, of gender uh, binarisms that we're seeing. So um, in many ways, um, it, as I said, it's a mixed blessing. And uh, in some sense, also the, the very far-reaching and fuzzy combat zone that Me, Me Too actually explores is problematic as well. So um, I think... To understand um, the hype about it uh, is really um, to understand it. We need to th think about it as a, as something that travels with a new medium, um, and that appears new because of that. Because it uses the Twitter format and um, it, it it allows people to interact, but it, they interact long distance most of the time. Uh, Me Too is a movement where you don't necessarily have to move. The message moves. Yeah. Uh, people do move. They go to the streets. But um, the interaction is public yeah. and it's mostly with strangers. Uh, and that uh, is the major difference, I think. Uh, and it has a plus, but it also has a lot of pitfalls, I think. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned sort of discussions we've been having for decades. Obviously, the last couple of weeks, um, women's reproductive rights seems under attack again in the United States. I wonder whether you thought the Me Too movement um, or perhaps a new movement might sort of come out, at least given sort of what the states have been doing the last couple of days in uh, Alabama, Georgia, I think was the, the other one as well. Do you think the Me Too movement might be able to assist uh, women in that particular fight or a new movement might grow out of that? That is a good question. And it would be a test for Me Too whether or not it uh, uh, engages in other conversations than these um, cases of sexual harassment and exploitation. Um, good question. Uh, but then we shouldn't forget that feminism fights on so many ground Uh, levels yeah. and um, and and many women and also men are feminists engaging in personal interactions and so on. So the the prominence of Me Too sort of also um, has taken our attention away from other issues, and um, that that is always the case in a media society yeah. or in our media ecology. Uh, but we need to keep that in mind because it. It really takes our attention away, for instance, from uh, intimate partner violence, which which is which is rampant, yeah. or other issues, as you mentioned, reproductive rights, which are again and again 
endangered. Yeah. And um, we see the debates over and over again. And uh, that is something that the feminist movement makes very obvious. Uh, it also happens to other uh, debates. Of course, if you think about um, discussions about Marxism or uh, socialism and so on, we, we go in circles. Yeah. Uh, but feminism makes that very, very evident, I think. Uh, besides politics, uh, American cultural institutions like Hollywood and the news media have been industries uh, where we've arguably seen the most examples of men being held accountable for their mistreatment of women, um, Harvey Weinstein and Roger Ailes obviously being notable examples. Um, do you think uh, or expect there to be lasting change in those particular industries, given I guess they're a lot more public facing than some industries? Mm -hmm. I think that it's possible. There are new sensibilities, whether or not they're really sort of based on convictions that masculinity yeah. could be something else is yeah. another question. Uh, but um, there have been uh, critiques about Me Too that it shouldn't be just about the world of the uh, rich and famous. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think that we should keep that in mind. And I mean, every area that is sort of cleared of or become more sensitive to these issues is fine. But again, um, it, it, it should not wear away our attention from other uh, issues that are still so, uh, yeah, uh, unlit in many ways, uh, as I said, intimate partner violence is yeah. something that is rampant. And I was really surprised to hear figures just recently in Germany. Every second or third day, a woman in Germany is killed by her partner, and that partner is mostly male. And that is uh, that that are figures that are mind blowing. Um, they are um, apparently in Australia, it's one woman per week. Yeah. You know, it's it's a little better, but but still, uh, just thinking about that. Uh, so um, it's fine if Hollywood gets more sensitive towards these issues, but then again, there's still lots to do. And yeah. of course, that is a public space, as you say. Uh, much of sexual violence happens in, in the private sphere, in analog human interaction. Yeah. So uh, we should not forget about that. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Hillary Clinton um, because I know you've spent some time looking at her treatment uh, during the 2016 campaign. Um, in a few decades, decades' time, looking back on how she was treated by her opponent, uh, by her country, by the media and by the men around her, what do you think we'll make of that moment in history? That's a very good question and it depends very much on who writes that history. Yes. <laughs> and as we, as we know, there are now multiple perspectives on certain uh, moments in history. Sure. And uh, a, a historian of feminism will say something different than an economic uh, historian, maybe. It also depends on how the presidency of Trump goes down in history. Yep. Um, he might be seen as someone who has been economically successful. We don't know. We're not at the end of the story. And it also depends on whether there is a female uh, president in the not too far future. Yeah. What I find really interesting uh, is that um, the U.S. as one of the first democracies and as one of the main motors of feminism, if you think about the suffrage movement and and other uh, developments, um, has not yet been able already to vote for a female uh, commander-in-chief. Yeah. And um, that is quite astounding, uh, even though... Even in the 19th century and uh, in the 20th century, we had women sort of being, being you know, uh, running for, for uh, or 
announcing themselves as, as candidates, yep. even though they they knew they stood no chance. So there, there is a certain uh, there is a certain continuity in that narrative, um, and um, this has of course to do with the institution of presidency, with conceptions of leadership, uh, with a presidential rhetoric, uh, with gender conventions. Um, at the same time, it has repeatedly been suggested that um, Hillary Clinton is a particular case due to her long political career. Everybody sort of knew what to expect. Um, uh, there was no space for projecting hopes and desires as you could do with, uh, with Trump. Um, her time as a first lady, a badly managed uh, election campaign, and not least her personality, which mm -hmm. of course was sort of the main target of the media. But we shouldn't buy this because there's something sy sy systematic and uh, uh, systemic about this. Um, the the race between um, uh, Trump and Clinton has really sort of foregrounded gender issues. If you have two men running, it's versions of masculinity. Yeah. If you have a man and a woman running, you have all the conventional assumptions out there. And um, uh, Hillary Clinton really had to do this this uh, balancing act uh, uh, throughout the uh, campaign against a media bias that has followed her around since you know, the 80s and 90s. Yep. I mean, she was always confronted with uh, uh, with these, with the skepticism about her own uh, agenda and the fact that she did not uh, stay at home, uh, bake cookies and had teas. Um, so um, th there is something about this fact that underlines uh, that um, um, the American democracy has been compromised from the very beginning um, and all other d democracies too because women have not been able to be voted for a vote for, for a long time and then um, they don't get into these positions. On the other hand, there's women in, in high political offices all over the world and the fact that the U.S., doesn't manage to, wasn't ready for Hillary or any other woman, uh, we'll see that, um, is is quite uh, surprising. And it's a, it's one of the main contradictions because in many ways uh, the U.S. has always been supporting women in high, high positions. But, um, yeah, the presidency is yet another matter. Do you think um, female candidates running for the Democratic nomination will have a tough time convincing voters uh, they can achieve what Clinton couldn't? Is, is there still some sort of national trauma, I guess, there perhaps that will make it more difficult for them? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would use the word trauma. Right. <laughs> but um, I, I'm certain that there were moments what could one could fear that the Democrats may shy away for, uh, um, um, from nominating another mm -hmm. female candidate in 2020. I don't think this is uh, any longer the case mm -hmm. because too many women Democrats voted for women um, uh, in the midterms yep. and voted them into political yeah, office. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, plus, uh, the Trump presidency itself is quite traumatic. Yep. <laughs> <I think. laughs> There's there, your trauma. There, the, yep. the term might be very uh, adequate. Um, the gender polarities that we saw in the 2016 race, I don't think will dominate uh, the next race because okay. it will be a race that I hope will be much more about issues. And um, we're also sort of uh, aware of the fact that the Democrats need a candidate that can attract a range of voters. Yep. 
Uh, formerly, Democrats were successful when they came from the South, like Carter and Clinton. Now it may be the Midwest or the Southwest yep. uh, as the new South. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the, the six at the moment, six women candidates among the 22 yeah. Democrats, which is way too many, uh, but it will, uh, will clear uh, the field at some point. Um, so we'll see. And they're all very different. Um, so I, I think um, uh, it will be about issues more than uh, the gender issue. But I still hope that uh, in the not too far future, there will be a female candidate to break the ice and the glass. Yes. Uh, one Democratic candidate who's had a very complex relationship with women during his career is former Vice President Joe Biden. There's his uh, up-close and personal physical interactions with women and his treatment of uh, Professor Anita Hill during her testimony about sexual harassment allegations against then Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas. At the same time, one of Biden's signature moments uh, as Vice President was a speech in which he declared that every college woman uh, was in grave danger of being sexually assaulted uh, during their studies. Do you think some of that history will be a bit of an albatross around his neck during his run? It certainly will, uh, but it also will because the allegations underline Biden's age. He's 76, yeah. and I don't want to be ageist uh, in any way, but Biden is from a different generation, and these allegations show that. Uh, he's from a time where all these issues had much less relevance. Um, um, what I think... Um, seems most important at the moment is how candidates fare and have fared in the media. That's sort of the, the main issue for the media. Yes. And it's very easy to search through their records and find faults uh, uh, and at the same time making political agendas secondary, if not irrelevant. So I sort of dislike this focus. Uh, on the other hand, I'm quite surprised how well the well-aged candidates uh, fare in the polls, uh, Biden in particular. And I really hope that neither Biden nor Sanders will be nominated. I don't think Sanders will be nominated <laughs> because, I mean, he wouldn't, I think he wouldn't have won against Trump and he wouldn't win now. But I think uh, both of them are too much men of yesteryears. Yeah. Um, after all, it's Biden's third attempt. Um, uh, he's too much déjà vu, and I really hope, uh, um, yeah, he will disappear from the scene uh, along uh, the way. <laughs> finally, I, I wonder whether you've had much time to turn your mind to Australia, and if we differ much to the United States or, or Europe in our treatment of, of women and women in politics. Do you do you see many of the same challenges here? I've been an observer of the election campaign. I haven't been here very long, yeah. and I'm not an expert really on uh, Australian politics. It's sure. quite interesting. I see many women um, in the political arena also high up, but obviously the central figures uh, have remained male as well. Yes. So it seems like um, there are similar challenges for all Western democracies. Um, um, at the same time, we also should be aware of the fact that um, women uh, in higher political office, the numbers do not rise progressively. So we have to be really careful uh, and watch what is happening in Germany. 
Um, they have dis- decreased. For instance, in our Liberal Party, they really have a problem because they have uh, both in membership and in uh, political representatives too too few women. Right. Uh, so we get these discussions about quotas. I don't know whether this is an issue in Australia. Yeah, there's definitely been discussion yeah. about quotas here. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's a good way to go, even though many women are rather shy away from them for obvious re- reasons. But, for instance, the Greens in Germany have a gender parity in all their debates, boards and bodies, and uh, they're currently perceived as the only representatives of a future-oriented politics. So that seems to be suggestive. And And um, I know too little about um, uh, how really uh, um, political parties select uh, um, their candidates, uh, but it seems that the issues are very similar. Yeah. Sabine, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks also this week to the Babamara Brass Band, Lobo Loco and Ketza for their musical contributions and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. 